today on Ag News Daily. Obviously, things cycle, and we're in one of those cycles now with a lot of different challenges. So I'm just gonna, Pam, I'm just gonna fly through some material here for your for your broadcasters and your colleagues. Um, I think that farm stress is no secret. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Happy Thursday here on the Ag News Daily Podcast. Delaney Howell joined by Ashton Carr. And Ashton, we are officially just one week countdown here until Thanksgiving. I know. I absolutely cannot wait to go home and see my family. Of course, things are going to be a little bit different this year in terms of, you know, who we're going to have at our Thanksgiving meal. But nonetheless, I think it'll just be great to be, you know, with my family and eating some real good food. Absolutely. And while we're on the topic of Thanksgiving, every year the American Farm Bureau Federation does an annual survey to see what the cost of Thanksgiving will be for 10 people. Of course, this year with COVID-19 forcing a lot of folks to have smaller gatherings, we are seeing that cost go down. They're saying this year the annual cost for a dinner with 10 people would cost about $46.90, which is down $2 compared to last year. Um, I don't really think we'll see a lot of 10 people gatherings here this year with COVID-19, but for those folks who are still having a little gathering, your cost this year will go down. Sounds like a little bit, so it's always good to know. Um, My turkey, actually, I've got to brag, was only like $11 this year, so I think it was 15 and a half pounds, so I thought that was pretty good, too. You know, Delaney, I also read the findings from that survey and I thought they were pretty interesting because, you know, it says 10 people. And I think at least here in Texas, a lot of the, I guess, recommended gatherings are 10 people or less. And so even though, you know, it, it was conducted for 10 people, I'm kind of surprised that the prices had gone down that much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was a little surprised as well. Uh, assumed at first there that prices had just gone down because they were having smaller gatherings, but that was not the case. Prices overall went down. So uh, definitely supportive for a, on the consumer side of things, not so supportive for a producer who uh, might be making a little less off of that this year. But at any rate, Ashton, another big story I wanted to talk about on a little bit more of a serious note here was or is an ongoing lawsuit that was filed on Wednesday against a Tyson facility in Waterloo, Iowa, KWWL-TV in Waterloo, uh, fi- or reported this story, I should say, as of yesterday, that state officials are, or state officials were urging the shutdown of meat processing plants in Iowa. Managers at the Tyson Foods Processing Facility in Waterloo were allegedly allegedly placing bets on how many workers would contract the COVID-19 virus. So from what it sounds like, uh, managers and folks in upper management were placing bets on the number of workers and when folks would be getting COVID-19 symptoms. Again, these are alleged uh, speculations, alleged allegations. Nothing has been proven yet, but the lawsuit also says that folks in management were well aware of the severity of the virus and had quite a few cases that they did not report to their fellow workers and were apparently downplaying the severity to their folks working on the processing floor. So we will continue to watch this interesting story. As of yet, Tyson Foods hasn't released any sort of public statement regarding the lawsuit, but Waterloo, Iowa, Ashton is about an hour from where I live. So uh, this one definitely hits close to home. 
Delaney, I think that we're just on the same brainwave today because I also had that article pulled up and ready to talk about, led by former U.S. Attorney General Eric Holder. And I just, you know, thought it was interesting because Tyson said that it suspended those employees without pay. So it sounds like they're taking this pretty seriously. They certainly are. And I mean, like I said, they're allegations at this point. So we don't know for sure what is or isn't true. But yeah, Tyson's reacting not so well to this. And I don't think the public's going to react super well to this either. You know, I, I don't think so either, Delaney, because, you know, packing plants and meat processors were a pretty big hotspot for COVID-19 when things first, you know, kind of started going downhill earlier this spring. But moving on from, from COVID-19, I wanted to talk about a new tool that the FDA is offering on its website to alert consumers earlier about foodborne illnesses. The Coordinated Outbreak Response and Evaluation Investigation Table is designed to present numerous data points to consumers as investigations unfold. And according to the FDA, outbreak investigations go through several stages. And I feel like I see foodborne illness investigations, I should say, come out quite frequently, you know, in terms of E. coli and stuff like that. But I found this table really interesting because on the FDA's website, they already have this table up and ready. And all of the reports on it are just salmonella and E. coli, which not to, you know, take away from those foodborne illnesses, but, you know, hopefully those cases aren't, you know, too, too severe or anything like that. But it talks about, you know, food tracing, what pathogen it was, total case count, among other things. And so I thought this was very interesting as we are going into, you know, that holiday season with lots of food being prepared. But hopefully we don't see any foodborne illnesses among our family members this Thanksgiving. No, make sure you're cooking your turkeys to, I want to say, 165 degrees. I need to double check that one. I think you're right. I think poultry is 165. I can't remember. I always have such a hard time when I'm cooking chicken at home. I cut into it about 17 times just to make sure it's cooked mm -hmm. all the way through. And then it's always dry. So I'm really not the best poultry cooker. You got to temp it, Ashton. You can't judge it by the, by the color. That's the main thing <laughs> I've always learned. But let's see here. We've got some news that we've seen another record-breaking year of Chinese soybean imports this year. Uh, which provided a really optimistic backdrop for a meeting held this week between Soybean Export Council and Chinese government officials, as well as soy importers. USEC hosted the meeting earlier this week with a Chinese Federation of Ag importing and exporting companies, including uh, Kafka, Sinegrain, and representatives from ADM, Bangi, Cargill, and CHS were also present, but they talked about moving forward here, what they anticipate China to buy in 2021. And here at the end of the calendar year for 2020, and it sounds like they are predicting China importing an additional 100 million metric tons of soybeans in the 2020 calendar year and additional tons here in 2021. But this would be a record year for U.S. soybean shipments headed to China since 1996, 1997, excuse me, which put in a record at 96 million tons. So we are seeing China move full steam ahead. Well, Delaney, that sounds like some pretty big news for the soybean markets, but I'm all out of news for today as I was 
really into the NASD convention today, which we will get into in a moment. But what do you say we hop into the markets before that? Let's do it, Ashton. Let's talk markets here just briefly before we get to that fantastic conversation or our coverage of the NAFB convention going on right now virtually this year. Soybeans were a little hotter on the day, but most commodities pulled back, including corn. December corn pulled back three and a quarter cent to close at 424, 22 and a half. The March down three and a quarter to close at 427 and a quarter. Soybeans uh, a little higher on the day as the January contract up a penny and three quarters to close at 1177 and a half. The March up just three quarters of a cent to close at 1175 and a half. In the wheat pits, the Chicago contract December adding, or excuse me, closing six cents lower to end at 591 and three quarters. The March down seven and three quarters to close at 598 and a quarter. And hopping over to take a look at the livestock markets, they were. They were lower on the day as the December contract shed $2.40 to close at 108.25. Feb live cattle down 262 to close at 110.52. In feeder cattle, again weakness here as the January contract shed $1.75 to close at 135.55. The March down $1.95 to close at 134.95. Lean hogs lower as well as the December contract shed 210 to close at 6370. The February down 285 to close at 6305. And hopping over to take a look at the dairy class three milk futures. November 41 cents lower today. Excuse me, December 41 cents lower today to close at 1560. January down 39 to close at 1632. Ashton, I know you have been tuned in a lot more than I have for the NAFB convention that has been going on and been tuning into some great sessions. Tell us about the one that we are going to hear about today. Well, the conversation that we are going to share with the audience today is talking about rural mental health. And I think that it comes in a timely fashion as today is Rural Health Day. So today, our charge is to focus in on mental health and it's not just about the pandemic. It's about all of the ups and downs that production agriculture faces on a routine basis. Uh, could be weather, could be the markets, could be uh, local circumstances. So I want to welcome in two of my guests today. Uh, they are longtime friends of the fabulous Farm Babe, and they're going to bring some very meaningful content to you that can be really replicated in many different states. Joining me, my friend Jeff Ditzenberger. Now, Jeff is a, a farmer himself in Greene County. He is also a veteran, and he most recently founded uh, TUGS, which he'll tell you more about, which is designed as an outreach mechanism for veterans that struggle. And obviously the farmers are part of that veteran community as well. We'll be visiting with him and his uh, background in just a moment. And also John Schutzke, who's our university extension, uh, I call him farm safety specialist, but he is much, much more than that. He has acted as real hub and coordinator of a lot of farm uh, resources that help families address the issues that they may be facing when it comes to mental health and he's also created a lot of support mechanisms that they can access privately on their own to make sure that they are getting help in an area, let's face it, rural America just doesn't have the resources that many other metropolitan areas might. Jeff, I want to start with you, my friend. Tell them a little bit about how you come to be a part of this mental wellness uh, conversation. Thanks, Pam. Well, basically, um, it kind of started... Uh, with my military career, um, I was in Desert Storm, and even though I wasn't boots on the ground, uh, saw some things. I mean, you know, a lot of people saw the scuds getting shot out of the sky. 
on TV and I actually saw it in person um, and started to suffer some, from some PTSD and some, uh, some other mental diagnosis once I got out of the military. And then um, <clears throat> when I got out of the military, I uh, went back into agricultural roots. I was raised in a small farm, small dairy farm down in South Wayne, Wisconsin, a town of about 400 people. Uh, but when I got out of the military, my coping skills to uh, reacclimate myself weren't uh, weren't exactly the best, and uh, got very very heavily involved in, in drinking heavily. And uh, in 1992, I uh, tried to take my own life by uh, setting a, a house on fire, a burn, uh, an abandoned house. Um, and it wasn't until after that incident that I actually started getting some some mental health, but you know, when you take when you say that rural America is struggling to get to mental health, I mean that's still going on today. It's still I'm talking to some of the therapists that I work with, and they're six to eight weeks out to get somebody in. And uh, and I that was one of the things that frustrated me. So years down the road in 2013, I had the privilege to uh, speak in front of a, a group of men at uh, Guys Night Out from Madison Safe Communities, and. Um, I started talking about my Navy career and how we needed tugboats uh, to get our big chips around. And it kind of clicked something with me, Pam. And then shortly after that, I founded uh, my nonprofit, Tugs, which stands for Talking, Understanding, Growing, and Supporting, because even big ships need a little help sometimes. I appreciate you being along with us, Jeff. And uh, Jeff's going to talk a little bit more about how today he's boots on the ground, meeting as safely as he can with social distance in play with farm families that are struggling in the economic climate that we've got right now. So we'll get to that uh, personal touch, if you will, coming up in just a moment. He's got a personal touch uh, with a lot of data behind him. John Schutzke is a fellow that I've turned to. And it seems, John, that we're, we're constantly having these conversations Although different scenarios, uh, I mentioned at the outset that the pandemic has escalated some of the things that we're experiencing in rural communities when it comes to mental health and stress. But you and I have had these conversations, whether it's a drought, whether it's high interest rates, uh, whether it's low milk prices. And you have got some fantastic data that you want to share on the science behind how we react the way we react. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, you're welcome, Pam. I'm going to just take a moment here to um, share my screen with everybody and um, we'll roll into this. I wanted to, just like Jeff, give you just a little bit of background. I grew up on a family farm, Northwest Indiana. My parents are still there today. They're in their 80s now and um, kind of went through the farm crisis in the 1980s, late 70s, early 80s. But it wasn't until 1988, I worked for the Illinois Farm Bureau during the 88 drought and really began to get into stress and mental health and Obviously, things cycle, and we're in one of those cycles now with a lot of different challenges. So I'm just going to, Pam, I'm just going to fly through some material here for your for your broadcasters and your colleagues. Um, I think that farm stress is no secret. When we talk about mental health, mental well-being, suicide prevention, I do like to look upstream and like look at this whole situation with all the stresses we face. It's obvious weather uh, conditions, politics, labor issues right now. And there are a lot of different impacts, everything from health, physical health, uh, the potential for depression risk, suicide risk, and, and also farm safety. You mentioned my background in farm injury prevention and farm safety, and we know that there's a really strong connection. Uh, down at the bottom of this graphic also, um, you know, in Wisconsin, just like other states, people who might be listening, our average farmers are about 10 to 15 years older than the general population. So there's stress that's associated with aging. We've got the COVID challenges right now. 
with a lot of younger families, it's not just the older people, but younger families with COVID happening on the farm, happening in the community. We've got challenges with children and homeschooling. So there's just a lot of stuff that's happening out there right now, not to mention all of the routine stuff that we deal with, weather and tornadoes and natural disasters and floods and, and the whole realm. Pam, what I like to talk about when I'm out working with all the farmers I work with over the course of a year, and by the way, the last time I was out in the real world, traveled down to Savannah, Georgia for the National Farmers Union Annual Convention. I'd been in Austin, Texas like the month before that. So it's been a while. But when I'm out talking to farmers, I like to talk about the fact that stress isn't just in your head. Um, when we talk about people who are dealing with stress and those feelings that you know everybody knows about, the tightness in the chest, the feelings of the sweaty palms and just kind of feeling agitated, having difficulty sleeping, those kinds of things, there's a reason why that happens. It's not just in our in our brain. It's not just in our head. Stress is caused by some hormones or fuel. And those fuels are typically cortisol, which is a hormone and also adrenaline. And I just want to, to emphasize the fact that when we're under stress, our body begins to pump out these chemicals. Back in the days when we're like cavemen and cave women, a hundred thousand years ago, if you were being chased by a saber toothed tiger, um, it was good to have all these hormones because it prepared you to run, your blood pressure would go up, your blood sugar would, would increase, the amount of blood lipids. And part of that was just to give you the energy to either fight off the threat or to run away. But the problem now is we don't have those same natural releases. And so that impact on the brain in some cases causes people to make bad decisions. And that just like further reinforces this cycle. The brain kind of shuts down to some extent. Um, that's overstating it a little bit, but when we're under stress, our fear center activates. The part of our brain that we need for making really good positive decisions, we have difficulty making those decisions. And if you think about that, just like the days of the caveman and the saber-toothed tiger, tigers, um, you didn't want to have to stop and think about it. You wanted your body to be ready to act, to fight, to run, and you didn't want to spend time overanalyzing the situation. So there's reasons why all this stuff happens to us. It's not because we're weak. It's not because we can't handle the stress. These are real changes that occur in our body. They can be managed. And I think we'll come back and talk about that in a moment. The other thing that happens in a lot of cases, a lot of us, we have difficulty sleeping in times of stress. Um, but where I want to kind of turn this back over to you is in these times of stress, when we have difficulty Production times are difficult. We are faced with a lot of complexity, a lot of thinking about the future. And if we're under that constant barrage of stress, it can create kind of a lack of a perceived lack of control. And that's when people begin to experience the depression, the anxiety. Again, I mentioned the potential increased risk for suicide. But I want to really emphasize for your listeners and your viewers that these are these are real changes and they're things that we can cope and deal with. So with that, I'm going to actually stop sharing my slides and kind of hit it back over to you. All right. Thank you, John. We appreciate that. Jeff, I want to talk to you about what you're seeing today and maybe what you've seen over the past. Uh, Jeff and I talk uh, fairly frequently about different people that feel comfortable reaching out to him with different challenges. Um, talk to me about the differences you're noticing in how men cope with stress on the farm versus females trying to cope 
with the stress that John was putting out, some of it newfound, uh, you know, the kids are home now all the time. You're still trying to go out and help with chores. You maybe have an off-farm job and you're trying to work in the home with the kids while chores still have to go on. So if you can, share with us what you've noticed as far as how the two sexes seem to be trying to compensate and deal with these new stressors. Thanks, Pam. Honestly, I don't think they are. Um, part, of the, part of the challenge I'm noticing now, you know, we went through kind of a farm crisis a couple of years ago when you and I really started to hammer this home about, you know, reach out, reach out, reach out. And the challenge within the farming community is that, one, you've got a proud You've got proud people on both sides of the fence, men and women on both sides of, you know, and there's a lot of women farmers out there, uh, you know, that are running the farm operations and the, and the husbands are the ones that work off the farm. So there's some dynamics that have changed over the years that makes it a little more challenging as well. But the thing is, is that a lot of the families that I talk to, the wives, the wives that work off the farm or the, the, the guys that work off the farm will say, that was my sanctuary. That was my time away to kind of regroup, to, to deal with the stresses that I would deal with when I would come back home and then we'd send the kids to school and we, you know, and we would have some time, you know, as a, as a husband and wife to, to talk. And it's, and it's not even the husbands and wives all together. And it's the partners. Like if it's a brother, father, son, you know, there's so many different dynamics that we have here. And that's one of the core things that my group does is like, we try to get people in touch with people that are unbiased because if you're a, if you're a male farmer and you come to the kitchen table after you get done milking cows or done in the combine for the day, and you tell your wife, well, I, I got a fee bill to pay, but there's no money in the account. She's dealing with the same angst that, that um, you know, that the, that the husband is dealing with. So there's no, there's no separation from that. You know, there's, there's, it's not the word she can say, oh, it'll be okay. We'll make it work. You know, I've got a paycheck coming in or whatever the, whatever the case may be. And then you throw the kids into the dynamic. And I tell you what, Pam, I'm finding these kids are smarter and smarter and smarter about what's going on with mom and dad nowadays or grandma or grandpa or whoever in this atmosphere because they're seeing the angst between their parents. And one of the things that I've been working on is that, you know, a lot of a lot of my a lot of the people that I talk to will say, oh, I got to stay strong for the kids. And I'm like, no, you don't. You can sit down and have a conversation with your children about your mental health. Because it does a couple of things. One, it gives you as a family unit time to sit down and actually talk about something that's very, very important to where they will understand if mom and dad say the word hippopotamus, the kids need to go in the other room and let mom and dad sort some things out and not have to hear some of the other conversation that's going on that really they shouldn't have to necessarily have to deal with. Um, the other thing from a man's perspective, and this is this is why, why I, I'm very passionate about this, is that Women are apt to talk about their feelings. You, you ladies will, will talk to your best friend or your, your sister or, you know, your, 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 your core group and you talk about your feelings like it's nobody's business. Men are not like that. And one of the things that I've found very interesting is when I give my public presentations, when I used to do that, uh, before COVID is that, you know, you have guys in the audience and you could have a hundred guys and 20 women and you tell the guys to say the word feelings and they're like, and then you tell the women to say the word feelings and those 10 women would just blow the guys out of the water, you know? So there's, we're, we can't hardly even say the word, much less talk about what the actual part of it is. And, you know, I've, 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 one of the things that I try to do is I try to get people to understand that these feelings are natural. Like if you need to cry in front of your kids, 
cry in front of your kids. If you need to cry in front of your wife, cry in front of your wife. If you need to cry in front of your best friend, do it. It's it, it, it's a way to release some of this stress. And 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 now with, with COVID, the other challenge that I'm finding with that, Pam, is that, and we were actually talking about this in one of the mental health classes that I'm taking uh, just the other night. Now there's a new buzz phrase out there called pandemic exhaustion. We're tired of hearing about masks. We're tired of hearing about uh, uh, the numbers. We're tired of hearing about all this rhetoric that, that comes around it. So now you've just got one more challenge added on to it because, you know, I talked to my next door neighbor who happens to be my ex-wife. I talked to her and she's like, I haven't been off the farm in six weeks. I absolutely love it. But when I go to town, I get more anxiety because there's so many things that are different now that I don't, like she doesn't have that connection. And that's one of the challenges with rural America. You know, not all farmers are Facebook savvy. Not all farmers are Snapchat savvy. Not all farmers even tune into the news other than listen to the, to the uh, fabulous farm babe to get the market reports and see what's going on in agriculture. But the rest of the media, we don't want to listen to because we're tired of it. You know, so there's so many new challenges out there that like my my whole presentation at the kitchen table has had to entire has 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 entirely had to change. And there's still that pride thing. You know, that's one of the hardest things to get past with the agricultural community is that pride thing. And I don't care if it's a if it's a farmer, if it's an agricultural business, you know, there is a pride that goes along with with agriculturists in general. And it's hard to break down some of that barrier and say, hey, you know what? You can still be upset and and have pride. You can still, if you have to close up your business, you can close up your business with pride. It's not something you did wrong. And it's the, the, the conversations are very in-depth. And, and, and one of the things that I tell people all the time is that I would rather have that tough conversation than to have a conversation at somebody's funeral because they've gotten to the point where Don was talking about where they end their life. And I've said this for years, farmers can make this look really, really like an accident. You know, farmers have that ability with the machinery and that kind of stuff. And I was tractor safety assistant coordinator and one of the lead instructors in Greene County for 20 years. So I got, I got the privilege to, to read through a lot of these farm accidents. And it wasn't until like five years ago, Pam, that I'm like, man, was that actually an accident? Because what happens if you have an accident on the farm? If insurance gets paid out, farm's taken care of, your family's taken care of, and you can die with pride as opposed to, you know, just putting a gun to your head and pulling the trigger or, you know, hanging yourself or, or whatever other, you know, whatever other means that you want to, violent means that you want to die by. You know, so we need to, as agriculturists, we need to, as an agricultural community, we need to, as, as anybody associated with agriculture, we need to talk to them about what's going on with them at their level. And I've even had psychiatrists and psychologists call me and say, I don't know how to talk to these guys. Like they're coming in and talking about how they're getting 350 a bushel for corn and that's not enough to pay the bills. I don't understand what this is or what's $16 a hundred weight for milk and, and why are they dumping their milk and why are they upset about that? There's so many more conversations going on right now. Welcome to the Hot Rod Farmer Minute. I am Ray Bohax from the Idle Chatter podcast heard on the Global Ag Network. When storing seasonal use equipment with an engine of any size or fuel, keep in mind that there is at least one intake and exhaust valve open. This will allow moisture over time 
to wick into those cylinders, creating the potential for rust to begin to form on the wall surface. Regardless of the time of year the storage takes place or the structure that the equipment is in, cover the air filter inlet and exhaust pipe with a plastic bag, secured tightly with a thick rubber band. This simple effort will eliminate most, if not all, moisture from impacting internal engine parts. Agriculture runs on machinery, profits on reliability. Please visit FarmMachineryDigest.com for more helpful hints and technical articles where steel and soil meet. Well, that was a great first parter there, Ashton, of uh, covering mental health. We're going to finish this session up tomorrow on the podcast and be covering a few other topics next week as well. In the meantime, folks, if you want to check out or catch up on any past episodes of the podcast, head to agnewsdaily.com or you can interact with us on social media by finding us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Agnews Daily. Ashton, with that, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.